Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. pauses to reflect. We're just here to gather to hear the stories of survivors. On a day for truth and reconciliation. State of local emergency. It goes right down there. The landslide threat in Williams Lake and the seniors out of their homes. She loved you and we loved her dad. And celebrating the life of our friend, Deborah Hope. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Ceremonies are being held across the province to mark Truth and Reconciliation Day, reflecting on Canada's history trying to erase Indigenous identities, especially through residential schools that caused pain that continues to be felt to this day. We have extensive coverage tonight, and we begin with ceremonies in Vancouver. Here's Global's Catherine Urquhart. United in song and wearing orange, they march together along Vancouver's commercial drive. At Grandview Park, young and old acknowledge the past and look to the future on this Truth and Reconciliation Day. Today I, I want to hold my hands up for all the resilience and strength of our survivors and uh, all the people that are coming together to support such an important day. At Trout Lake, organizers made certain there was plenty of bannock for those gathered. It was about nurturing one another, physically with food and emotionally. Deep wounds were acknowledged. I have parents and grandparents that attended residential school and um, my parents were survivors and um, I'm, a, I'm affected by the residential school system. And there was gratitude from elders like Randy Tate. It's a beautiful event to honor our relatives that never made it home. Our, our grandfathers, our great-grandmothers, and, um, and the ones that did make it home were there for them, and then we thank them for, for coming home to us in a good way. A day for remembering, while continuing along a meaningful path forward. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. To the Heisla Nation in Kitimat Village, where a number of truth and reconciliation activities are taking place tonight, Global's Elizabeth McCheffrey has been speaking with survivors and joins us now with that part of the story. Elizabeth. Thanks, Jordan. Well, this is a small nation of about 2,000 people, but they celebrate Orange Shirt Day in a really big way. I'm here on the docks of Kitimat Village, but not far from here, there's been drumming, feasting, singing, beating and dancing all afternoon. And that followed a very special march honoring residential school survivors this morning. Let's take a look. As children, they were taken more than a thousand kilometers away from their homes, but a walk of just a few hundred meters is helping them heal. 
This march means a lot because um, we honor the children that have gone on before us. They're always in our hearts, the ones that we lost. These Heisla survivors, wrenched from their families and sent to residential schools in Alert Bay, Port Alberni, and Lytton. Learning to love was, was hard because in those institutions, the word love always came hand in hand with sexual abuse. Canada's residential school system sought to erase Indigenous identities. Religious doctrine, isolation and abuse, its primary tools of assimilation. The trauma passed from generation to generation and healing a lifelong process. Your healing never ends, but for a lot of my healing, I needed family, not only my blood family, my children, my mother, my siblings. You also need friends. While these survivors continue to work on themselves, they're asking all of us to do our part too. Ask questions, listen. Talking is healing, listening is learning. Elizabeth McSheffrey, Global News, Kitimat Village. Founders of the Orange Shirt Day movement are participating in events in Williams Lake. A good turnout at the Stampede Grounds, speeches and prayers were held throughout the morning, and a sacred fire still burns strong tonight. The main event there is the Indian Relay Races this afternoon, with riders coming from across western Canada. The founder of Orange Shirt Day, Phyllis Webstad, is also there and says quilts will be given to survivors of the 60s scoop. Last year I was in Niagara Falls and there's an elder sitting around the fire just behind me that came from Niagara Falls by herself just to be here. And uh, I've seen Nevada plates, I've seen uh, different plates. I think people are coming from all over. And in the Nass Valley, this Truth and Reconciliation Day is being celebrated with the return of a treasured icon. A totem pole has returned home to northern B.C. from a museum in Scotland. But as Krista Dow reports, its arrival comes with the realization that there is so much more work to do. The sounds from Friday's historic ceremony, celebrating the return of a memorial totem pole, still echoing through the fog in the Nass Valley. The sacred pole's return to Lackalzap from the National Museum of Scotland marks a significant milestone. My heart feels at peace. I feel so relieved and I'm just so grateful. The rematriation, a righting of a wrong from 94 years ago. And comes after repeated calls requesting the Scottish Museum relinquish the totem. I know it's been a long journey for us, but it's been an even longer journey for this totem pole and for the living ancestor that's in it to be able to come home. Now begins the technical work, removing steel beams used to secure the pole during transport. The chains that you see down here, they'll be used on either side of the memorial pole to slowly bring it up. And then preparing the museum foyer where the totem will be raised. As this memorial pole gets raised, 
This is an example of reconciliation in action. There is a sense of calm here on the Niska Nation on this National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. And while much has been accomplished, nation members say there are lessons to be learned and there are still so many cultural belongings that need to be recovered. Other families may well come forward and the museum and the nation are, are ready to support their paths to assisting in returning cultural belongings. There are several Niska totem poles and many other artifacts on display in museums around the world. And for true reconciliation, Parent says the onus should be on museums themselves. The British Museum, yes, France, yes, Germany. We, are, we, we would like you to contact us and we are coming. To reflect and make meaningful change for those who've had to endure painful hardships and for the future generations. Krista Dow, Global News. On Vancouver Island, a protest was erected to mark this Truth and Reconciliation Day. An orange shirt and red dress were hung from a construction crane at the new Cowichan District Hospital. The orange shirt commemorates residential school survivors, while the red dress represents missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. Crews helped local contractor John Coleman erect the display, which hung high over the site for about half an hour before it was gently taken down. It's action like this today that you want to step up and step forward. My parent, my mom and family that have survived residential school and this is for them and for the ones that didn't come home. So it, it's very touching for me as an individual and I felt it to try to go out of my way, how do I honour them? In Surrey, two iconic pieces of Indigenous art have been reinstalled in time for today. Under the Double Eagle and Elder Moon are once again hanging proudly at the roundabout at 20th Avenue and 144th Street near the South Surrey Recreation Centre. They were produced by two brothers from the Semiamu Nation in 2008 under a city cultural program and allude to traditional Coast Salish spindle whorls. The pieces symbolize the friendship between the Semiamu First Nation and the city of Surrey. In Ottawa, a somber ceremony to mark Truth and Reconciliation Day on Parliament Hill. Global's David Baxter reports from the nation's capital where Indigenous heritage and healing took center, center stage. For decades, these schools tried to carry out their mission to kill the Indian within the child. We are here today because they failed. A sea of orange shirts covers Parliament Hill as Canadians are called to reflect on a troubling part of our history, the residential school system. It's something Laurie McDonald is all too familiar with. The abuse you suffered in there, especially sexual abuse, you think um, it's your fault and that's what you're led to believe. So you don't go home. McDonald says it took him 60 years to truly return home to the Enoch Cree Nation. Now, seeing all the orange shirts, he knows he isn't walking the healing road alone. I may be on this journey of healing, and that healing will stop when the Creator decides to take me home. But in the meantime, I'm not walking alone on this journey anymore. Now, Indigenous musicians, some of the culture residential schools tried to stamp out, play outside the Parliament building where those policies were drafted. A proud people who could not be destroyed. 
Canada's residential school history was long suppressed. So events like this are a valuable tool for descendants of those survivors to connect with their past. We're still uh, reconnecting and, and trying to find out more about that history, but really to honor our ancestors and be proud of, of being an Indigenous person. Still, thousands who went to residential schools never got to have their own families. This cloth bears the name of over 4,000 children who never came home. More children will be found and their names will be added. And that's why you see a lot of families, a lot of parents, a lot of children, a lot of youth in the state that they're in today is because a direct result of the parents losing the children. The creation of this day is part of the 94 calls to action from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, but more still needs to be done to heal communities. David Baxter, Global News, Ottawa. The Prime Minister joined Indigenous leaders and community members in a march through the town of Larange, Saskatchewan. In a speech, he criticized those trying to play down the lasting impacts of residential schools and the pain they inflicted. He also emphasized that achieving reconciliation does not only concern governments and Indigenous people. There are many who uh, would like us to simply brush over the past and pretend it didn't happen because they feel that talking about truth and reconciliation, marking this day, somehow diminishes us. Reconciliation is the action and the responsibility of every single person who lives today on Turtle Island. And a new poll has found most Canadians think governments and businesses need to do more to recognize the legacy of residential schools. The poll by Ipsos found 64% want to see all provinces mark the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation as a statutory holiday. The same amount also want to see it marked by all employers. 76% say more can be done to teach students about residential schools. 58% of Canadians say it is important to have a National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, but 30% do not think the day is important, and 38% did not have any plans to mark the day. A reminder, there is support for survivors. A 24-hour crisis line is available for anyone experiencing pain or distress. As a result of their residential school experience, you can call toll-free and speak in confidence, 1-800-721-0066. Six from across Canada gather in B.C. to discuss recent events. We'll have that story next. Also ahead on the news hour, the state of local emergency in Williams Lake and the landslide risk that has seniors on edge. Plus, I don't know what the problem is. The mayor of Kamloops under investigation, what he's being asked to hand over within 10 days. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code POD. That's ShipStation.com with the code POD. 
Accusations that India was behind the murder of Hardeep Singh Nijjar three months ago are reverberating across the continent. Sikh leaders from Canada and the United States met in Surrey today to discuss the community's response. Here's Global's Kamal Karamali. This is a rare sight. Sikh community members from across Canada and the United States. Like Washington State, California, uh, we have people from Toronto and New York. Um, everyone's kind of converging here. Streaming in. But I think this is definitely unprecedented in terms of what we're responding to today. Here at the Guru Nanak Gurdwara in Surrey. To hammer home the message. People need to understand what we should do next, where we should go from here. The killing of Gurdwara President Hardeep Singh Nijjar needs, they say, to result in action. What's going to be discussed here is a way forward. Community leaders coming together to put together a list of four demands that they'll present to the federal government. One of the demands being put forward is an immediate freeze or uh, elimination of the intelligence sharing agreements between Canada uh, and India. <laughs> Nijjar was gunned down in the Gurdwara's parking lot in June. A supporter of the independent Sikh state of Khalistan, the Indian government considered him a terrorist and put a bounty on his head. Earlier this month, bombshell allegations from Justin Trudeau, his death potentially linked to agents of the Indian government. No one has been arrested. Another one of the demands is to ensure the killers are caught. Um, we know that there was a warning given to Hardeep Singh and a number of other activists over a year ago, yet this assassination was carried out. So where does the fault or responsibility lie um, with Canadian agencies and policymakers? Karmji Singh here from Seattle. There is fear more attacks will take place if something doesn't change soon. We also need our safety and security. Now, as the historic meeting of six take place in Surrey, there's a push on turning those calls. I think we will do everything within our power as a community uh, to start pushing ourselves in that direction. Into action. Kamil Karamali, Global News. We are hearing tonight from the mayor of Williams Lake regarding the decision to evacuate a senior citizens complex due to a potential landslide. An evacuation order has been issued for four homes and an evacuation alert for 76 others in the Terra Ridge neighborhood. It is a seniors community with residents aged 55 to 102. An initial alert was issued last week when cracks were spotted in several homes. And there may not be much help from government other than hotel stays for evacuees using funds approved until October 18th. The city is quite concerned, the council is quite concerned. We are trying our best to accommodate all the citizens affected and try to look after. I am uh, equally in pain as they are. I just can't help but stress that, you know, programs like disaster financial assistance uh, really need to swing into effect in, in situations like this. Four homes have been condemned and residents say if they're all forced to move, there is nowhere in Williams Lake to rent or buy. A new task force will examine ways to fix a troubled wastewater project on the North Shore. The plant is a massive construction zone with very little going on this weekend. It's meant to replace the Lionsgate wastewater plant. It came with promises to clean up the water being released into Burrard Inlet, but it is running massively over budget. Now Metro Vancouver is appointing a task force to look at ways to salvage the project. 
Kamloops Council has voted to hire an investigator to look into the mayor's secretly recorded phone calls with city staff. The decision came in a closed council meeting earlier this week after Mayor Reed Hamer Jackson told council that his wife had recorded a conversation between him and the city's chief administrative officer without the CAO's permission or knowledge. The resolution called for Hamer Jackson to hand over the recordings to the director of human resources within 10 days. The mayor says he hasn't read the letter given to him by council and he doesn't plan to. Well, I think I, I'll get legal advice. I'd, write, I'd sooner hand it over to, uh, you know, municipal affairs. You know, I think that would be much better. I think, uh, you know, it's kind of odd that, you know, you go, you know, I learned about a closed meeting the day before. You go in and out of close and, and you're in the public. I, I didn't even know about it. There's an obligation, you know, from council. There's an obligation from the corporation to take care of the safety and security of all our staff. While not illegal, the recordings do appear to breach the code of conduct for counsel. The mayor went on to state he was unaware his wife had been recording the audio and it wasn't of a sensitive nature. The U.S. government will not shut down. Details on a last-minute funding plan straight ahead, also tonight. Oftentimes that entails some really uncomfortable questions. Improving Indigenous representation in health care and the barriers that still exist today and later. Celebrating the life of an amazing British Columbian, hundreds gather to remember Deb Hope. The United States Congress has averted a disastrous government shutdown, at least for now, passing a 45-day government funding bill. Michael George has the details. The bill is passed, and without objection, the motion to reconsider is laid on the table. Hours before the federal government was set to shut down, the House passed a last-ditch measure to fund the government through mid-November. On the House floor, we passed by overwhelming numbers the ability to keep government open for the next six weeks. I ask Congress, we'll stay in session. The next two weeks, continue to work to get this done. House Speaker McCarthy decided to rely on Democrats to help push through his temporary funding plan. We went from devastating cuts that would have impacted the health, the safety, and the economic well-being of the American people in 24 hours to a spending agreement that meets the needs of the American people across the board. Meanwhile, the Senate still needs to approve the measure for it to take effect. I think one of the things we've seen over the last decade or so is that we have more and more of these points where there's a disagreement and we walk right up to the very end. Even if a deal is reached Saturday, it won't be long before lawmakers will have to scramble once again to reach a long-term agreement. Michael George, CBS News. Canada's Truth and Reconciliation Commission made 94 calls to action in 2015. Some are focused specifically on health care, seeking greater recognition of Aboriginal healing practices and better treatment and respect for Aboriginal patients and healers. Health reporter Catherine Ward has the story. As an Indigenous woman, I'm very aware that every day that I'm in medical school, I'm working in a system that was not made for me. Kelsey Allen feels family medicine could be her calling. The second-year medical student hopes to eventually serve her community, Halpu First Nation, back home in Newfoundland. It's very important to me that 
as an indigenous doctor getting my medical education that I do not come out on the other side of a medical conveyor belt as another Western doctor who is indigenous. I want to be an indigenous doctor who practices holistic medicine and who acknowledges that someone is more than just their symptoms or their disease. Dr. Michael Dumont has navigated that tension throughout his career. Many of us um, you know, grow up with, with a sense of shame in our identity and, and um, having access to um, traditional healing methods and, and elders um, really helps to foster a more positive cultural identity um, and ultimately better uh, mental and emotional and spiritual health. Dr. Alika Lafontaine is a past president of the Canadian Medical Association. He says representation is improving. I'm seeing more and more folks going to specialties that are needed within Indigenous communities across the country, you know, moving into policy positions and also leadership within healthcare systems. But barriers still exist, especially for students just starting their careers. One is self-confidence and just not having that long history of folks who've been in the system. Many students face is that they're forced to be not only in the learner role, but in the educator role for their peers. Um, you know, when we're in circumstances where, you know, we're being taught um, Indigenous health content in our curriculum, um, oftentimes that entails some really uncomfortable questions. Kelsey says she prioritizes finding peace amidst the intensity of the program. While remaining committed to being part of a change she hopes will last for generations. The more that we can be inclusive and the more that we can make the space feel more welcoming, it'll attract more qualified Indigenous applicants and we'll have more qualified Indigenous doctors. Catherine Ward, Global News, Toronto. A beautiful start to the weekend, but a change is in the forecast. Von Schell will tell us when. And right after the break, a rescuer honoured for saving a man who was sound asleep in a burning truck. It was an act of heroism that a Kelowna man will never forget. The night he saved someone from a burning vehicle. As Victoria Famia reports, he was recently recognized for his actions. Well, there was someone in that truck. We got him out in time. He was asleep. It was a case of being at the right place at the right time for Okanagan Forest Task Force member Rod Tripiger on the night of July 20th. Just up for a drive, I used to live up here, so this is kind of my backyard. And so coming up here was just, you know, a normal thing. And uh, happened upon a truck that was engulfed in flames. Um, it had been pulling a little trailer, and at first I thought it was just an abandoned truck. But he was wrong. Then it dawned on me, I wonder if there's someone in there. And um, that's when kind of everything started to happen and I just ran up and opened the door and sure enough there was a guy uh, reclined back into the cab of the truck it was like a double cab and uh, he was out sleeping. Given how quickly vehicle fires can spread Tripiger acted without hesitation pulling the man from the flames. He just opened the door and, and woke him up I had to kind of shake him to wake him up he was in a what I think was a very deep sleep and um, um, and he obviously sat up and kind of was shocked at, was, at what the surroundings were now because they would have been a lot different when he went to sleep. 
According to the Okanagan Forest Task Force, an event like this is not uncommon for them. They say this year alone they've responded to about 10 vehicle fires in the Okanagan's backcountry, and they say this serves as a reminder to be mindful of your surroundings. Thing, it just it happens. You know, if somebody's not watching, it's an opportunist or vehicle malfunction, something like that. And as for the man in the vehicle, he appeared to be well after the incident. He and Triviger even went out for dinner after. Chatted about life and different things and uh, kind of got him comfortable for the night and that was it. Triviger was just recently awarded for his heroic act by the Canadian Humanitarian Association. But for him, it was about the life that he saved that night. And uh, yeah, I think just right place, right time. I don't know if he would have come out of that alive. Victoria Famia, Global News. Our meteorologist Yvonne Shell is here with the forecast. A gorgeous fall day. Even this morning it felt rather warm, Yvonne. Yeah, it was quite pleasant. It's a nice start and great to have you, Jordan, join us this evening. Uh, good evening, everybody. Uh, we are going to see a bit of a change on the way in the long-range forecast, and I'll have that coming up in just a moment. Current temperatures, though, we're sitting at 14. We do have a bit of a mix of sun and cloud with a northwesterly wind at 11 kilometers per hour. A couple of photos to show us the fall foliage out there. This one taken in Prince George. Gorgeous, so thank you so much Ashley and this one was taken in Smithers by Judy so thank you so much. Now here's what we're anticipating as we get in towards this evening we are going to have dry conditions but overnight and taking us in towards tomorrow morning we do have some fog patches in the mix they'll dissipate and then we'll rebound we'll likely see some breaks once again some sunshine through the afternoon all courtesy of this ridge of high pressure that continues to be in place throughout much of the southern half of the province that extends into the southeastern corners we'll also see some fog patches but this next weather maker is going to move in along the north and central coast. It'll intensify through the day tomorrow and then most areas along the south coast as it drives its way along Metro Vancouver we are going to see the potential for some rain but it'll be late and then taking us in towards our Monday. Here's where it times out though especially along the north and central coast. Those winds are really going to ramp up. We will see the potential sustained at 30 gusts of up to 50 and a few spots closer to the water could be up to 70 kilometers per hour and then the showers will start to pick up by our Sunday evening. It'll be late Monday anticipated to be a soggy one will be tracking periods of rain. It'll clear out quite quickly as it tapers off by our Tuesday. Wanted to show you the long range forecast. So Monday, Tuesday, there's that blip in the forecast and then it'll rebound. We've got another ridge that is going to build in midweek onwards and take us in towards the end of the week, potentially next weekend, but a different weather story for areas in towards the interior. Prince George, we will be looking at that rainfall for several days. Now the northern half of the province seeing the bulk of the moisture with very windy conditions. Prince Rupert up to 11 degrees. We're still seeing some local smoke for the northeastern corners of the province. Rainfall across the central interior. Fog patches for the morning hours for the Columbia and Kootenai region. Bit of drizzle could be possible along the northern tip of Vancouver Island, but most areas across the island will start to see an increase in cloud cover through the day. Lower mainland, we still have a range in temperatures, areas into the Fraser Valley, closer to 19 degrees. Fog for the morning, sunshine for the afternoon. Rain, though, a soggy one and a touch cooler on Monday, but Jordan looks to rebound for a Wednesday onwards. We'll be back into some sunshine. Back to you. Oh, it's a nice mix. Thanks, Yvonne. We're getting an incredible look inside the Vegas sphere with U2 kicking things off last night. The $2.2 billion stunning concert space provides a so-called visual odyssey for fans. More than 18,000 people can fit inside the sphere. It includes a wraparound LED screen that is the largest in the world and 4D physical effects. 
You've got to worry about motion sickness, though, <laughs> sitting inside. Got to have some gravel handy. That's pretty intense. I say, you two themselves, you don't need the lights with That's those right. guys. They're That's great. True. I don't want my attention taken yeah. away. I see I'm an old guy hating no, a new technology. No, no, no. <laughs> what will Vegas think of next? <laughs> Barry, lots on the go tonight locally. Mm -hmm, yeah, it's busy downtown, uh, guys. The, the uh, Canucks are on the ice right now against the Oilers. First home exhibition game. Uh, some uh, early highlights of that. Whitecaps, first home match in six weeks. Taken on D.C. United. We'll tee that up for you. And take a look back at a great football game last night. The Lions really dazzling in their offense. I got a chance to take that one in uh, with my daughter, Angelique, oh, cool. last Hi. night. It was such good atmosphere in the, uh, in the uh, Dome last night. And the Lions won, clinched a home playoff date. And uh, so we'll take a look at that as well. All right, looking forward to that. Thank you, Barry. Also ahead on the news hour, the uptick in classroom violence. Why Canada's teachers are sounding an alarm. And how they say students are not to blame. New school year has just started, but for many educators, safety is top of mind. Multiple unions across the country say reports of student violence against teachers are on the rise. And without proper support, they are worried it will only get worse. Death threats, head injuries, and even poisoning. That is just some of the violence being reported by Canadian teachers in recent months. It's really shocking. Multiple unions across the country say the trend of student violence against teachers has been growing for the past five years, but reached new levels since students returned to in-person classes a year ago. There's been a couple of cases of weapons being brought into schools. Um, the trend is, is definitely growing. BCOT says in the first two weeks of the school year, there were already multiple reports of teachers being stabbed with pencils. It's, it's a lot of incidents and it's uh, very concerning. Several regions across the country are also experiencing a shortage of teachers. The president of the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation says as violent incidents become more frequent, more teachers are leaving their positions altogether. We don't have a teacher shortage. We have a shortage of good working conditions, and that comes back down to the safety in the schools. Unions in four provinces, Saskatchewan, Alberta, Ontario, and Nova Scotia, tell Global News funding is playing a big role in why this kind of behavior is worsening. In Saskatchewan, funding per student has been declining for decades, while student enrollment keeps climbing. Beacott says that without early support, it's tough to prevent violent acts in the future. Although we're talking about violence that is uh, um, happening from a student to a teacher, uh, we really don't feel that it is the student's fault because in many of these cases, um, they just haven't been provided the supports necessary uh, to, to know how to express their emotions and express their frustration in, in an appropriate way. Teacher union reps fear the number of incidents occurring is likely higher than reported. They said part of the reason is that teachers assume reporting won't lead to action or in some cases be asked to show how they could have prevented the violence. Global News reached out to all 13 provincial and territorial education ministries asking for data on incident reports filed by teachers experiencing violence. Only one shared their data for the past year. Naomi Bargell, Global News. Just ahead, home sweet dome. We always talk about BC Place being our fortress. The Whitecaps finally back in Vancouver after a long road trip. Barry DeLay has sports when we come back. Help build a brighter future for ALS patients and their families. Support Project HOPE, an ALS Society of BC initiative which embarks on a journey of unprecedented hope for ALS research through the ALS Research Professorship at UBC led by Dr. Pyro. 
Monster Jam returns to the Pacific Coliseum. Don't miss world-class athletes and their 12,000-pound monster trucks tear up the dirt in wide-open competitions of speed and skill. For Our BC, I'm Yvonne Shell. In partnership with Destination BC, Thompson Okanagan communities are ready to welcome you. There's no better way to help BC than by exploring BC. Canucks playing tonight, and lucky for them, Connor McDavid is not. Connor stayed home. He's got better things to do on a Saturday <laughs> than play preseason NHL games. Sure. Right, thanks, Jordan. The uh, Canucks are playing game four of six of their preseason schedule in their first on home ice tonight, taking on the Oilers. Canucks have scored just twice in their first three games, but they have played a lot of minor leaguers. A much more NHL-looking lineup tonight for Rick Tockett facing Edmonton, and we've got some early highlights. Thatcher Demko starting in goal, played Wednesday in Seattle played very well gave up three former Canuck Brandon Sutter hoping to land a spot in Edmonton hasn't played for two years he's had long COVID no McDavid or Dreisaitl the uh, best chance early Evander Kane point blank but Thatcher Demko with the save the Oilers have just scored though Adam Ernie one nothing Edmonton late first the uh, Whitecaps play their first home match uh, in 41 days tonight at BC Place 7:30 kickoff against visiting DC United the Caps are an exhausted group no doubt the travel and the condensed schedule have really taken their toll but they know they will get a huge boost from the home fans tonight and are counting on it to help them get closer to clinching a playoff spot I was tired but also excited that finally we are home and we're gonna play home the next uh two games and three of the last four and uh, you know uh, we always talk about BC plays being our fortress and uh, he needs to be our fortress in the next uh, games because if we do good job home playoff uh, are in are in storage so that's the thing. Well, the Lions really did take care of business last night against the Rough Riders, beating them 33-26. That score sounds a lot closer. It really wasn't that close. The Riders got a couple of late TDs. The Lions' offense was fantastic. Vernon Adams passed for a season-high 458 yards. He went over the 4,000-yard mark for the season. And receivers Keon Hatcher and Alexander Hollins both went over 1,000 yards for the season. They are all hitting their stride with a huge first-place showdown coming up next Friday when they host Winnipeg. Win that game, and the Lions likely host the Western Final. Clock ticking inside 20. Adams, three to his left. Goes over the middle, down the field. Hatcher is Touchdown, BC! You know, we, we played this game as kids growing up, and we, we did it for fun, you know, and sometimes you got to reach back into that and just say, hey, man, go out there and have fun, because when I'm having fun, I think I'm playing at my best. And that was one of the things that I was locked into my reads. I was having fun. And, um, but still focused on the, the main um, thing to get done, which is get a win. I really am a big fan. He's such a good, uh, like I said, the, we see all the stuff on the field, which is fantastic, but the way he is in our building and just the way he comes to work every day, he's, the, he's, a, he's a great leader by example, and um, he just keeps plugging along. I, 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 I like to ride with that guy. That's good. I mean, I think it's always a big difference having that home field advantage in the playoffs. Um, Winnipeg's a great team, you know, great support system, great fans, you know. Uh, we'd love to have it here, you know, but we gotta, we got to go handle business, and that's the only way we'll be able to do that. So, got to handle business next week. 
Now with the Ryder loss, Stampeders still in the playoff hunt in the West, visiting Hamilton tonight, but the Stamps struggling again. Matthew Schultz, the Ticats, a backup quarterback, two touchdown passes in the opening half, including this one to Terry Godwin. It's 19-12 Hamilton very late in the fourth, so time really running out for Calgary to get into the playoffs. Baseball today, Jays fans hoping they can celebrate another trip to the playoffs. All they needed was to beat Tampa, and the party would be on. Down 2-0, Dalton Varsho tags a solo shot to right into the second deck. Cuts the lead to 2-1, and then in Varsho's next at-bat, 2-1, and he delivers again as he will hit that one into uh, the outfield for a two-run single. Jays have the lead 3-2. It was 4-2 in the fifth, but Harold Ramirez gets a hold of a Trevor Richards changeup and slams a two-run homer, ties it up 4-4. <laughs> Excuse me, and then we're going to need some extra innings. And bases loaded, two outs, Jordan Hicks with a good pitch. But Taylor Walls bloops it out to left, two-run score. And the Rays put the party on hold for now, 7-5 the final in 10. But Toronto could still clinch if the Mariners lost at home to Texas. Seattle has to win or they likely won't get in. They had their ace, Luis Castillo, on the mound, but Jonah Heim Bases loaded, single to right, scores two. Texas went up four to nothing. Not good news for Seattle, good news for Jays fans. Five nothing Mariners in the seventh. Ryder Cup, Europe delivering another dominating performance. Yeah, they were in party mode in Rome today. Swept all the morning matches Friday. Did the same thing again today in the alternate shot format. Brooks Kepka, who's won some majors. Scotty Scheffler, the number one ranked player in the world. They just got obliterated by Victor Hovland and Ludwig Auberg. Kepka and Scheffler played horribly. Kepka finding the water there. You can. This is never a good thing. They just couldn't do anything right, and they lost by a Ryder Cup record nine and seven. They only played uh, 11 holes. Largest blowout in Ryder Cup history. Tommy Fleetwood and Rory McIlroy took down Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth. Rory with three wins in his first three matches. So ten and a half points to one and a half through three sessions. But the Americans needed a big rally in the afternoon, and they got it. Patrick Cantley birdied the 17th and 18th to win a huge point. They won 3-1 in the afternoon session. So it's ten and a half to five and a half. Europe needs just four points out of the 12 singles matches to win the Ryder Cup. The U.S. hasn't won in Europe since. 93. English Premiership and Wolves fans were hoping for something special. Wolverhampton hosting Man City, a perfect 6-0 for the defending champs, but Julian Alvarez with a beautiful uh, kick on the free kick. City equalized 1-1, but Huang Hee Chan blasts home the game winner and Wolves get just their second win of the season, but it's a massive upset. 2-1 over Mas uh, Manchester City as City loses Case defeat for the first time. And Canadian Premier League winding down the regular season. Vancouver FC visiting Pacific FC in Victoria. Expansion Vancouver playing its best soccer right now as the season winds down. Gabriel Batar scores from the right wing to make it 1-0. And just seven minutes later, Vasco Fry, kind of just nonchalantly, goes for goal. And the left footer finds the corner. Vancouver. Third straight win, fourth in their last five. They beat Pacific 2-1. Pacific's going to make the playoffs. Vancouver will not. They're seventh place. Each team, one game remaining in the season. Regular season. All right. That's it for sports. Barry, thank you. When we come back, there were laughs and there were tears. The memorial service for Deb Hope.
Final word on the weather. Uh, we are seeing a bit of fog creeping in. We'll see that for the morning hours. We'll have some sunshine in the mix. Uh, heads up, though, it's for our Monday, a soggy one with periods of rain and temperatures just up to 13, but it should rebound by Wednesday onwards. All right, Yvonne, thank you. Tough day for a lot of us here, and this is how we'll end the news hour. Deborah Hope, in the words of her daughter Roxanne, had an almost magical quality that her mere presence transformed life into something better. Deb, as we all called her, as you all called her, died in May after a battle with Alzheimer's. She was 68. She loved you all, and we loved her back. And that was the deal. It is now 20 to 12. I have 20 minutes to do a story. She had vast experience, countless accolades, many awards, but as I said, she was just down to earth depth with her beautiful smile and eyes and her hilarious laugh. Oh goodness, I, I'm sorry, I found that story really funny. We better take a break, we'll be back with the weather forecast. I will think of her whenever I sing to my children, or sing in the car, or sing in the shower, especially the harmony part. <laughs> It's called my anchor smile. <laughs> she was gentle in life and serious with her work. Her storytelling was heartfelt and it made a difference to everyone. So privileged to have had her as a light and a leader and a mentor. She stayed strong for us. And even though this relentless disease slowly took everything from her, could never take away the love that she felt for each and every one of us. Deb was a great friend and a great loved one and a giving person. And she had lots of memories. So what she did was she gave them all to us, one after the other until she had no more to give. That's how she lost her memories. She gave them to all of us. So they're still with us. We carry them on. When she ran out of the she was good. She could go. So think of it that way. And remember her always.